the edu- educational system is flawed to an extent. I feel like the education received doesn't align with real life situations and real life scenarios. So I think for me, when it comes to education, yes, we do try to make sure when it comes to maths, English and the main core subjects, we are in some way fulfilling that and helping them with those subjects too. But for me, I think it's more so than just the education in itself. Like kids want to be listened to, they want to be heard. Even if they aren't saying anything, just the body language and expression says a lot. Hello, and welcome to the Mirror Stage Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we're on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. Hello, and welcome to the Mirror Stage Podcast. My name's Ty, and my pronouns are he, him. I am Kiki, and my pronouns are they, them. And we are here with Mirror Stage, and we at Mirror Stage are a multidisciplinary arts organization working in the Pacific Northwest. Here, we use the power of storytelling to challenge assumptions, bias, and prejudice, increasing equity and inclusion, while encouraging more thoughtful reflection on today's issues. We're going to start off by asking, Kai, what's new with Mirror Stage? So we just had our first reading for our upcoming Expand Upon Healthcare series. And it was such a great, uh, such a great play, such great plays, excuse me. Um, Very interesting takes on familiar ideas. And uh, I think everybody will be able to relate to it. and the the writing in both stories, it was just so like such well written pieces, and I'm excited for everybody to uh, to see the reading. You know, I had a great time reading for one of the pieces. Uh, you won't hear me in the uh, in the real version if you come see it. I don't think you will, as far as we know right now. Um, I've been trying to bug Ty. <laughs> I've been trying to bug Ty. I keep looking at the calendars because I'm in charge of all the like behind the a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Not all. Thank God for Megan, who you've met, <laughs> I believe, our last episode. So I will not take all the credit because Megan is great. Um, but I would look at the calendar like, well, Ty, I think you'd be great in this role. Because I read the plays before Ty read the plays and I made suggestions on who I thought he should read. But what was it like, Ty, to like read with the playwrights there was that exciting it was exciting because they gave like they they asked questions about their plays like did we get stuff and did stuff come across and one um for the one of the plays he asked if one thing came across or if we got that and for me i got it immediately and it was like super obvious and i was like oh yeah like but it wasn't like I was like, I don't know if if it's supposed to be like that or if I'm supposed to take it that way. But when he asked that question, I was like, oh, yeah, that's we're on the same wavelength, buddy. I got you. So it was um, I would love to read for him. You know, if my schedule allowed and I wasn't like so. But it's just reading, you know, I'll think about it. You know, listeners, if you email us, shoot us an email. If we get five people email in and request me to do the reading, I'll do it. No cap. <laughs> I love that. I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, get your friends out there. We need at least five people for the Thai fan club. <laughs> no, I know. I thought it was great. Though. I really enjoyed um, hearing the discussions. And I thought what you had to say was really insightful. And so that's why it's so good to have people like you who are part of this process. Because we want people to um, engage with the text and ask the questions and answer the questions of the playwright and Mm -hmm. of the dramaturg myself so that we can get the most out of these projects as we can so i'm excited that you're at least going to be reading for the behind the scenes part so for our audience members who don't know we have a bit of a some private readings of the script before they get to the stage just to give the playwright as much of an opportunity as we can to let them really hear the words make any edits they need before we put it up and on its feet. Yeah. And that's a really awesome process. And it was really fun to be a part of. 
Um, so if you like that and you if you like the podcast and you want to help us fund this in future productions, you can donate at our website, mirrorstage.org, or you can text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. And as always, if you are not able to give financially, we would always appreciate our listeners to rate and review on any platform you are listening on. You can also take a moment to subscribe to us. Oh, another thing I want to say that listeners can do since we're talking about it. Hey, email us if uh, you can read and you like to perform. (laughs) We're always looking for artists. So that's another thing that we could just shout out of like, hey, maybe you can't donate money. Can you donate your time? Would you like to get paid for your time as an artist? We do that as well. So come on down, rate and review us, send us emails. We're here for all of it. Yes, we are. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, so today, as always, listeners, we have a very special treat for you. Uh, we have a new South Seattle story. And this is an entry into our series of episodes focusing on South Seattle. And we're inspired by the rich diversity of South Seattle, and we strive to explore the origin stories of unique individuals who use their talent and skills to contribute to the community. So, founded in 2001, East African Community Services, also known as EACS, is a longstanding Black immigrant-led 501c3 nonprofit community organization. They operate community centers in Seattle's New Holly area and the SeaTac, Washington. EACS, their mission is to help East African refugee and immigrant families achieve cradle-to-career success. They offer wraparound services that touch every area of the family, including pre-K to 12 youth education and mentorship, intervention strategies for youth at risk, or returning to community incarceration, and Math Code Plus Robotics, also known as STEM, in strategic partnerships with the Boeing Company. They also have many other services for full families and offer adult services, but today's episode will be focusing on the youth. As we are interviewing two representatives from the organization whose main focus is in education with EACS. Yes, so we'll be speaking with Rachel Friedland, the Education Coordinator, Rachel's lived in Seattle for over 20 years. She's a child of two teachers, and she always felt that education was in her blood. She's taught in schools, daycares, churches, and nonprofits since she was in high school. Currently, she's a member of the staff at East African Community Services, where she is the K-5 coordinator and teaches second and third grade in their after-school program. We'll also be talking with AJ Musa, who is the middle school and high school education coordinator. So. AJ was born in Nigeria and raised in London. She has been in Seattle for four years and counting. Her work background consists of education, nursing, and technology, but mainly education and youth work. She is honored to be a part of the East African Community Services due to their heavy focus on creating a thriving community. So without further ado, listeners, here's our interview with East African Community Services. All right, so welcome on in, both of you. Please go ahead and start off with telling us your name and your pronouns for our listeners. Hello, I am Rachel Friedland, she, her. Hi, my name is AJ. My pronouns are she and her. All right, thank you both for introducing yourselves to us. Um, So we're just going to get started with what does storytelling mean to you? Storytelling means to me the act of sharing. Um, engaging in community, wanting someone to know you or at least know something important about you that contributes to who you are. For me, storytelling means being able to share my story with those I come across. Storytelling is also a way for me, sorry, for others to learn from my experience and also apply those skills and knowledge to their own lives Storytelling also teaches me about other people's lives too and their background and their experience. Nice. Thank you both for sharing that. Nah, I totally agree with like storytelling being, you know, wanting people to know who you are and wanting to express yourself. Um, but also, yeah, AJ, like you said, it's a really good way to learn more about other people as well when they share their stories 
and uh and a lot of times when we share it uh gives people uh, makes it easier for them to share as well so thank you both for that hi i'm i'm angie and i'm um she her another member of the group here and i wanted to ask because of saying what you said about stories do you have stories that have made a major impact on you in your life that you would like to share with us be great to hear them i can go first if that's okay yeah for sure okay um i think for me if i'm being honest the story that has impacted me i would say would be my life simply because of the obstacles and challenges i faced along the way and as someone who is always in the search of something new and exciting, I left my country, London, and I came to a different country, you know. So if I'm able to step out of my comfort zone in order to find what can essentially fulfill me emotionally, I think anyone can and should be able to do that. Nice. So if you don't mind me asking, AJ, what really, like pulled you to to leave London and come here and um and do something different was there like one defining moment that just made you leave or was this like something you had been sitting on for a minute that is a good question I get asked this quite often actually um in all honesty if I can be honest <laughs> Um, I was in a situation with a partner who wasn't, I guess, the best for me at that time. And unfortunately, I got into some some trouble with the police. So I think that moment and essentially seeing my life flash before my eyes, I knew I wanted something different. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Yeah, thank you. I sorry, I just want to hop in and say I appreciate that honesty because like so many times when there are instances of like dealing with the police, people are like, oh, well, that's what defines me or what defines this person. And there's no escaping and there's no there's nothing that can be done. So having this kind of capability to see past that and what needs to change and then making that change is just very inspirational, I will say. Thank you so much. Most definitely. Uh, Rachel, did you have a story that you'd like to share with us that's had an impact on you? I can't think of a specific story like the second, but what I thought of when I first read that question was I think of the stories of my parents a lot when I think about stories that have impacted me because my parents have had a big impact on me. I mean, they raised me. But also the fact that they are both, they both had teaching experience before. And now in this particular job where I'm in a teaching position, it definitely made me think about, okay, what kind of teacher am I in relation to what I have heard before from other teachers and not just my parents, teachers that I've had in the past or teachers who are friends of my parents. And like, what are all the things that I've heard and what are all the things that I want to apply to my own classroom? Does that answer the question? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And I can relate to that. My mother is also an educator. So I grew up knowing every teacher at every school, like couldn't get away with anything. Not that I did anything that I needed <laughs> to get away with, but it was I don't just... believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not 100% true either, but yeah. uh, just like being in that setting really framed my mind different. Um, not that I wanted to go into education, um, but I did see a lot of stories in different ways that teachers uh, interacted with their students. Like a lot of teachers don't bring their work home with them, you know, whereas my mom was the type of teacher who would, like if a kid needed extra help or something, like we tutor them at our house, you know, it was stuff like that, that, um, just people going the extra mile to make sure that kids uh, get the help that they need and the support that they probably uh, aren't getting at home for any number of reasons. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and Angie and I are both teaching artists and like, yes. I, I want to be like, Angie, you should, could talk on that a little bit. Cause like I teach a lot of storytelling as a concept to like little kids. 
And so it's fun to just like, as we're going back to this like idea of like, this is how we connect and this is how we build community. Um, also like giving them those tools to start being their own storytellers is uh, something I really appreciate when working with Littles. And I, I think that it's really wonderful for all teaching artists or teachers to give their stories about themselves because then it gives um, leeway for your students to tell their stories. And if you make space for that, then everybody in the class feels kind of like a family, I think, if you allow people to have that space to tell their stories, even if it's as small as just a morning check-in with everybody going around the circle. I mean, because that's the story of your day. So, and that can set the tone for how the whole day goes with the class of students, knowing where they're coming from that day. So, Yeah, that's very true. Well, and I was like, this is a perfect segue because now we're going to ask you two about your stories. So what is your origin story? And we're really thinking about like, what brought you here? What brought you to the work that you're doing? What, yeah, what led you to like, this moment today? Bit of an odd question. I, what brought me to Seattle was I moved here when I was really little. I wasn't born in Washington state at all. I was actually born in New Orleans and my parents moved around a lot when I was little. They didn't want to settle down immediately. Um, they had my brother in Massachusetts and then me in Louisiana. And then my first memories of life were when we lived in Tianjin, China. Uh, my father got a Fulbright scholarship to teach there. And after a year, we ended up moving back to Washington to my mother's hometown. Neither my dad isn't from here, but my mom is. And we didn't intend to settle. It just kind of happened. And even through, I didn't leave for college. I stayed here, but I did leave um, for three years to do AmeriCorps in the Midwest. And I loved being in the Midwest for three years, but I also just really missed Seattle. So I found myself coming back after I had completed what I set out to do. Nice. So how did you end up with East African Community Services, Rachel? I was applying for jobs in September. I'm also relatively new to EACS. And I found the posting for this particular position. It was actually the position that AJ ended up getting, uh, middle school, high school coordinator. And I'd worked with an East African company before in Minneapolis. And I really loved working with the teens in that area. It was a predominantly Muslim community as well. My experience there was absolutely amazing. And I thought, I've done that before. I want to do it again. So I ended up as the K-5 coordinator instead, which I'm glad because AJ does such a better job in the middle school, high school than I could ever do. But <laughs> yeah, it just it fit really well. Nice. Yeah, it sounds okay. like y'all have been uh, like kind of all over the country and all over the world, too. Uh, Rachel, with your story, you said you were born in Louisiana and you lived in China and then you came back to Seattle, but did three years in the Midwest. So I'm sure you've seen like a bunch of different cultures and uh, just a lot of different things and everywhere that you've lived. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was in Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered, so it was definitely experience. <laughs> wow. Um, so, AJ, what's your origin story? I know you've told us a, a bit about what brought you from London to the States, uh, but whatever else you want to share about your origin and how you uh, came to EACS, uh, we'd love to hear it. Okay, sounds good. Um where do I start? <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, so I am originally from Nigeria. Um, my mom brought me over from Nigeria around, uh, I think, four or five years old, I, I, I would say, thereabouts. Um, so from about five or four, I lived in London. I went to school in London went to university in London, worked in London. <laughs> I had my whole life in London, essentially. Um, then at the age of 22, I, as mentioned earlier on, <laughs> I got into some trouble with the law and I knew that this lifestyle was not for me and I wanted something different. 
And I think for me growing up, especially having going through my teenage years, I felt very alone. So when it came to, I would say family, it was something I was looking for. I was in search of a family simply because my family weren't together in that sense of you have the mom and the dad in one household. So yeah, <laughs> I got into some trouble with the police. Um, decided to leave. Luckily, I do have a family here. So my dad, my twin brother, my younger brother, and my dad's wife live here. So luckily, when I did decide to leave London, coming to Seattle was the first choice I made simply because I had extended family here. So it kind of worked out. Um, how how did I end up with EACS? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was working for Microsoft for about a year and I got fired for no absolute reason, which put me in a, I would say, if I'm being honest, in a state of depression because I had never been fired before. So being fired was something new for me to learn how to deal with in regards to my emotions. So going through, I would say, the five stages of grief, I had to really pinpoint what it was I was looking for in the near future. So prior to that, I had experienced working with teenagers in schools, childcare and things of that nature. So when I was looking for a job on Indeed, I came across EACS. I read a bit about what they do online and what they stand for. And to me, that resonated with me because, as I said, family was something I was in search for. And from the first interview I had with EACS, I immediately knew that, yep, this is home. This was like family to me. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. And this is, you know, totally a safe space. I know you've already shared a lot with us, but I don't want you to feel like, I want either of you to feel like you can't share anything with us. This is like your time to talk and tell us like whatever you want to tell us. So thank you for being uh, honest with everything you've been through, RJ. It's definitely like inspiring for me to like hear everything mm -hmm. you've gone through and, you know, how you just kind of look at it and say, okay, how can I get through this moment? What's the next step for me? And you don't really sit in it and, you know, like feel sorry for yourself in a sense, you know, you're keeping your mind forward on progressing and doing what's best for you. And um, also, you know, I've, I moved to Seattle from Georgia and for a second, I felt like pretty alone because I didn't have any family here. And I grew up with the family of like my mom had 12 brothers and sisters and all the cousins would meet on Sunday at grandma's house. So it'd be like 30 of us together and moving from that into an environment where like, I don't have the friends and family like that. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely had to kind of like make my own family through, through work and networking and stuff like that. And not that it's actually family, but like you said, with uh, when you found EACS, it felt like family and like yeah. their values resonated with you. And um, it's always a blessing when you can find that community that gives you that same feeling that your family would. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And it's very relatable for sure. Of course. Thank you for allowing me to share that. Of course. Yeah. And we appreciate it because it just helps people realize that like, there's not one path. There's mm -hmm. not like one way to do anything, but also it, sometimes it gets messy before you figure out like what you want and find a place that like where you feel most at home and most comfortable. Yeah. Yes. I agree. And I learned something new today, Ty. That was a story. I didn't know you had that many relatives. Yeah, <laughs> <many> people. <laughs> I mean, that was new to me and I've known you for a while, but we're always working. So we don't always have time to share all these stories with each other. And so I'm learning to meet you a little bit closer. And we're both from Georgia. So when you came to Mirror Stage, I was very happy <laughs> to have a Georgian <laughs> there. <laughs> you were the first other Georgian I met in out here, so... It definitely was a, a blessing in disguise for sure. Good. Um, so our uh, next question for you all kind of deals more with the work you all do. 
Um, so what inspires you to work in education, specifically with the East African community? Well, as I mentioned before, both my parents are teachers. So that definitely had an influence on me growing up. You know, I used to hate the fact that people said, oh, are you going to be a teacher like your parents? But then here I am. So the joke is on me. <laughs> but I do love teaching and I love working with kids. And yeah, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be working with an East African population, I'd be like, oh, that's strange. I don't know anything about them. And I did go in very blind when I started working with um, Muslim teens in 2019, but they taught me so much. I think especially I grew up in the Christian tradition. I went to a Christian school, went to a Christian church. So learning about the world of Islam was so jarring for me, but it was also so rewarding. There are so many parts of not just the religious practice, but daily life that are so beautiful and so incredible. I hear the term inshallah a lot, which means God willing. And I found that I've started saying God willing in a lot of just my daily speech, because it is a good reminder of the idea of God and how God can be a part of your life. I don't know if you wanted me to get religious on that. But, um, what, whatever. Yeah. There's no, we will not censor you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So is there like, like a language barrier, but I know there was like a, you said there's a bit of a culture shock, but I did see on your website that a lot of different, you know, languages are spoken within the East African community. Uh, so is there like, do you run into any challenges uh, when you're working with that community with that? Yes. Most of the children were, I'd say about half of the children were born here in the U.S. and half of the children were born in East Africa and moved here. And they all have a really grasp of the English language. But sometimes talking to their parents can be tricky because the parents might not have, well, they don't have that experience of growing up in the U.S. and hearing English every day. So it can be a little difficult sometimes if there are some parents or grandparents who want to talk to me and we might need one of the children to translate, or I might have to call on one of the other instructors to translate for me. Nice. It's great that you have that, that, you know, the kids can hop in and service translators. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, so AJ, uh, what inspires you to work in education um, with the East African community? going to start with what inspired me to work in education first and going to work with EACS. So for me, I think my personal opinion is that the edu educational system is flawed to an extent. I feel like the education received doesn't align with real life situations and real life scenarios. So I think for me, when it comes to education, yes, we do try to make sure when it comes to maths, English and the main core subjects, we are in some way fulfilling that and helping them with those subjects too. But for me, I think it's more so than just the education in itself. Like kids want to be listened to. They want to be heard. Even if they aren't saying anything, just the body language and expression says a lot. And for me growing up, I know that feeling heard was a, was a big deal for me because I felt like no one was there, even though my mom was there and I had siblings there, they weren't really emotionally available in the sense of how I would like them to be present. <clears throat> what inspires me to work with EACS particularly, I would say is the fact that majority of our staff and students are African-American. And as mentioned earlier on, there is that sense of feeling like you have another family, you know, and as someone who has worked in corporate America and also worked with um, teenagers and kids on the side or in schools too, I've seen both worlds. I've seen how, I guess, I, yeah, I've seen how both occupation thrive, the good and the bad. So with that being said, I'm taking what I've learned and skills and knowledge and applying that to working with the kids I, I serve in the community. And for me, that's more so being there for them emotionally and spiritually too. Those are some really, really wonderful, wonderful sharings with us because um, 
they're serious, but they're really, really important. And they're some of the things that I've learned being a teaching artist, a lot of what you just said. Um, I've had those experiences too. And I actually learn a lot from the young people myself, um, you know, because everyone has experiences that are new. You know, everyone has other traumas that you don't have. And it's really good to be able to learn from those you with, with whom you're working with and who you're teaching. So given that, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to? Any new projects, any new um, groups of students that you have or any that are coming up at the EA, EACS? Well, we did just change our program hours to be more accessible to newer students. So it would be nice if that meant we got an influx of new students uh, in the short term and long term. But in the long term, I'm also looking forward to this spring. We have some new partnerships coming up at EACS that I'm really looking forward to. And again, I've never worked a spring with EACS, so I think it's going to be really exciting. AJ, what are you looking forward to? I know you're pretty fresh in this role. I think for me, I am looking forward to really expanding with the community and just getting more involved with the community and seeing what ways I can best influence that. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. Izzy, I just want to know, too, I'm sorry, could you just, like, talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Cause honestly, like I, I teach and I, the little kids are like perfect for me. And I know that some people can't work with a little kid, but I, on the other hand, when it comes to middle schoolers, I'm just like, what do I do? How, what? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not cool enough. So like, what do you, how do you engage with them? Like, how do you get them interested in things? Of course, great question. So for me currently, so we are still trying to get more students in, but the students we currently have, I would say they like it. And the reason from from the feedback they have given me, the reason why they like it is because I'm open with them to an extent. Um, I also allow them the room and the freedom to just be, you know, at, at the age of 13, 14, 15, in all honesty, no one could tell me anything. Like, even if you try to, I'm not listening. I'm sorry, please be quiet. <laughs> so allowing them that freedom to be and just be safe in their environment, because once they feel like they're safe, honestly, even the ones you thought were quiet will be loud. <laughs> Nice. Thank you. It helps with that perspective, too, because I think about that. Where I'm always like, they don't want to listen to me. I'm boring. I come in and they're like, I don't want to do this. It's nine o'clock yeah. in the morning or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we watched there's like a great video on the website that you all have that yeah. is like the kids talking about like and it's kids of like different ages talking about the different experiences they have had. And it's it was just it was so inspirational and like so beautiful because they, they seemed like they were all having a great time. And it yeah. seems like all the work that you all are doing is really paying off because it's showing that they're engaged in things in the community. They're engaging with their, their learning. They want to be there to be tutored and stuff like that. So that's just been, uh, yeah, it's just phenomenal to see them like seeing how you can get people to want to learn something like want to be interested, want to show that curiosity. That is true. Just to touch on that, because like you said, education can be fun. It doesn't always have to be by the book or from a um, a worksheet. Like make it fun, make it inclusive, do some projects, step outside, just have fun with it, you know? Yeah, especially because like that seems to mirror more about what life is like outside of school. <laughs> Like I, yeah. I rarely have to take like a test, <laughs> but I do have to collaborate with people. I think like yeah. that. Okay. So uh, looking at the organization. So if someone comes to you all and they aren't 
East African or like of East African descent, where do they go? How does the company respond? We don't turn away anyone based on race. However, the East African community is very, very tight knit. So a lot of the times the families who will come to us are people who know students um, or adults working with with EACS. That being said, we do have, I think, one family who is not East African. And yeah, maybe that will change in the future. I don't know. But we're always open to new families and new, new perspectives, if that makes sense. Most definitely. So like the family that is not East African, how are, are those kids kind of like, are they not interacting with the other kids or do they still find ways to interact with the other kids? Um, or do you see it like a, a difference in between like how they interact with the East African community versus um, the ones who are still within that community, if that makes sense? It does. I'd say they interact still. Kids are usually the last ones to learn like prejudice or racism. So they're very accepting. And I would say the family does have a bit of a connection to the community itself because they are also a Muslim family. I think that's why these particular parents wanted the kids to be in this area because, and they're around other Muslim children, other Muslim families. That's sweet that like that, the intersectionality between like religion and, and race, um, with that, they can still find ways to relate to them. Like, hey, we might not be East African, but, um, you know, we worship the same way and we, you know, live that part of our life the same way. So it's great that they can uh, relate through that. Um, so I know like both of you are are fairly new, um, but we are wondering, you know, like what kind of impact did COVID have on the work you all do? From what I understand, program had to be shut down. Uh, many of the families we serve may not have, I guess, the resources that were necessary. But from what I understand, there was a lot of help given out by EACS. And even though I do think public schools are criminally underfunded, they are a bit more generous with technology with students. So even my second graders will have like school issued iPads that they are using to connect. And I will say the impact of being remote has helped us as far as partnerships go. I can't imagine prior to 2020 that many museums would be so willing to do virtual visits, but it is really nice to be able to email lots of different organizations who can do things over technology now from the classroom. I just want to hop in and say that's true. I really liked how companies and organizations have kind of, they they did the whole, like, what can we do to continue to like reach out to people and have people be a part of what we're doing from home? And then... I really appreciate how some companies have tried to see how they can utilize that now because we're in this weird phase where it's like, well, some people are want, are wanting to go back, but some people still aren't comfortable. So having these virtual options of like tours and engagement that can be done online is really helpful. And it just keeps opening doors, I feel. Yeah, I feel that um, given the tra- trauma of the last couple of years, um, it's forced us all to jump a little head ahead in technology. We were going to have to go that way anyway, but then having the pandemic shut us all down made us have to all leap into how can we continue to teach and, and touch each other and do performances and, and uh, keep our souls alive without being in person. And in some, some, I teach for the Parkinson's program for STG. And one wonderful thing about where we are now is that, People who have progressed in their disease to the point where they cannot come to the in-person classes now have an option to continue to bond with everyone online, with students who do come to the in-person classes and not. So I think it's really important what's happened in the world of technology with students and um, jobs, everything. Just like you said, the museums weren't offering this. And um, so... Sometimes there's a silver lining in, in tragedies. You know, there's a there's a place that we can go that's positive within that trauma. Now, I know that both of you are relatively new, but do you have any of the old the students that were there very young that are now coming back and mentoring any of the other students? You know, and what have any of them gone off to college and come back to mentor? Do you know? Yes, we actually do have uh, one instructor 
she doesn't work with us anymore, but she did work with us for about a year. Um, me too. I think a year where she was in the program as a child, uh, came back as a teaching assistant and then, uh, was promoted to instructor. So nice. that, that was really great to see that she loved the program so much that she stayed in it and she wanted to give back. That's great. Sorry, just to add to what Rachel said, um, yes, we did have an instructor who, well, doesn't work with us anymore. Um, one thing about that is I would say because of her connection to EACS, she is also able to let her friends know about EACS and the work we do which allows them to want to be part of the community and the work we do too. Yeah, it's like, it just builds the network, you know, like no matter where she goes, she'll always have like her memories and experience with EACS, especially with um, like her going through the program and teaching in the program um, that she'll share those stories with people. And if they're in the area, you know, that'll only help you all more. Uh, are there any like special programming coming up this summer or uh, anything that you would like our viewers to be aware about that's uh, going on this summer? We do have summer programming every summer that is much, it, it's more expanded than our after school program because our after school program is about two and a half hours and our summer program is six hours a day. And that is just a lot of fun for the kids because it's not school it is educational but it's not school it feels like more fun so that's a lot of field trips and museum visits aquarium visits yeah i i mean we don't have anything booked for sure but i've been talking to some people about possible summer programs and i'm very excited for them nice yeah we'll definitely let uh let our viewers know if anybody you know feels connected to the community to go out and be a part of uh, your summer programming uh also is there anything you'd like our viewers to know as far as like how they can support EACS and how they can get involved. Like, do you all, you know, need volunteers or are you looking for anything um, along the lines of, you know, support from the community? We are always looking for volunteers for, I mean, a lot of programs, but especially our after school program. It is not a big commitment. So, if people are looking for small ways to start off volunteering, it's a great way. You can do one day a week or two days a week, and it's two and a half hours max. Nice. And you don't have to be an expert in any subject. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, uh, if neither of you have anything else you want to share with us, uh, we thank you so much for your time today. Great to speak with you today. That was wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. We're going to hop right in to reflection. So what do you I got, Angie? impressed that AJ would share something so personal right off the bat with people she didn't know. You know, I thought, boy, she's being very open. I, that was amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm being 100% honest. It's just beautiful to see someone be like, hey, life has its ups and downs and it gets messy and you can still find a way to end up in the position and the place that you want to be with people who are your family and your community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when she was like, just talking about her uh, relationship and being with, you know, someone that she didn't feel was good for her and leading her to bad choices. She mentioned that like, she wanted something different, you know, right. she saw changes that she wanted to make in her life and she just made it happen. So that was um really great to hear her say that you know like yeah there's bad things in life but you know you got to get past it and you got to like you know get yourself out of that situation the best way you can and certainly working with young people if you share that kind of information about how you had to self-actualize yourself to change it's supportive of of letting them know that there may be adversity but you can do something about it you know, I mean, and, mm-hmm. and from a personal, I mean, and, and a young person is going to listen to you when you're talking from yourself as opposed to just 
out here somewhere. So, yeah. Yeah, that's probably why she's so good with middle schoolers because they're at that age where like they they know more about the world and like they probably, you know, a lot of people who do get in trouble, they start around, you know, right here, um, if not a little earlier. But you said that, you know, they just want to be heard and they need people who are emotionally available to them. And I'm sure like I, I don't know if she tells their students about, you know, her. Her personal no, yeah. stories, you know, but just but, going through that, she yeah. kn- probably knows how to like take something bad that a kid might go through and help them s- find solutions to get through that and uh, yeah. help them work work past uh, whatever's troubling them. And kids know whether you're on whether you're being honest. They they have a radar for whether you're you know <laughs> hiding stuff or not or just not being very upfront. So it's good to be as open as you uh, can uh, at the age appropriate <laughs> sharing for your students. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also do love that uh, they don't turn anybody away, you know, even though it is such a, such a tight knit and specific kind of community that they're working with. Uh, it's not just East African people, you know, I feel like I'm not, I don't want to say like anybody could go in there and like relate, but they don't turn anyone away. And I could see them becoming just like a big mixed cultural community of people who like uh, relate to each other and understand each other and like understand their differences and appreciate um, their similarities and differences as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was great when we asked that question of like, what, what do you do? Then they're like, we're not going to send anybody away. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh yeah, duh, of course. You're right. Like you guys are out here changing the world. You're not gonna be like, oh sorry, you can't come. Yeah. Um, but it was cool that they're just like, yeah, we just got this family and we help them and they're part of the community and and it's great. And I think this this tracks too with like our listeners will hear through all the other like organizations we talk with that a lot of them are specific to certain communities, but there is that network of organizations that are specific to certain communities so that they can reach out to each other. I'm thinking about the, the what's the other one the, that we were researching that was like the friendships of Vietnamese people, like oh, that Candelia. group. And Candelia, yeah. Which right. turned into Candelia, which has a very specific thing, but I'm sure if they had somebody reach out to them, they could link them to another resource of people who are out helping others in the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And I think also a cool thing that I don't think we get too much of when we asked the question about COVID, but they had a like a really positive impact um, on them. You know, like most people say, oh, COVID, we had to close our doors. We had to stop offering this. And even though they did, you know, have to stop their programming, um, the they mentioned that like their partnerships and things um, like that that exist now wouldn't have been possible um, pre not possible but it wasn't happening pre-covid um so it's cool to see that like you know covid this thing that negatively impacted pretty much the entire world um they found a silver lining in that and uh, came out you know stronger at the well not at the end of it wherever we are now of covid (laughs) (laughs) i also love how they've just both been like all over the world not yeah, really that, all over but like our aj yeah. was like from nigeria to london to here and then right. uh rachel was born in louisiana then she time in china and then you know she was in the midwest and then went to seattle so i'm like that is like a lot i can probably you know i've been in places on vacation but yeah, i lived in georgia and i lived here you know i haven't been all those places so it's cool to you know see that they travel a lot and i'm sure that's kind of had a hand in them wanting to work with international communities as well yeah Mm -hmm. i was just loving aj's voice is so wonderful i I almost jumped and said girl your voice like please just talk more (laughs) i don't want to make this weird i did not think you were going to be british but i was like that also tracks just like with things and like the world and like where African people end up in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I was like, I want to know more. Why Seattle? And then when she was like, her whole family's out here. I was like, 
Ah, uh, makes sense. I actually was surprised her accent was so moderated. I expected it to be heavier because I read that she, you know, and I thought, I wonder what part she's from. I mean, is it going to be really heavy? What, what part of England is she from? Because they're all right. so different, you know? Oh my gosh, and, yes. Exactly. Yeah, she had a very moderate, was it, was it perceived? RC, I can't remember what they call it, where it's, it's very- RP, British RP, RP. it does. Yeah. But it yeah. sounds like transatlantic, which is like a little bit yeah. of the RP, so yeah. 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 So, and I was like, cause I didn't know, cause every you know, some of the regions are like intense. You can't even understand what people are saying. Mm-hmm. I always have to put on the subtitles when I do British shows because sometimes I miss stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Angie, what British shows are you watching? I'm sorry. This is a little off topic, but I'm like, are you watching the, like, are you watching, what do they call that? Like, like Love Island? Are you watching all those like oh trashy <laughs> reality shows? No, I'm not much of a reality show person. I watch stuff on PBS. I'll watch every now and then oh, though. I so watch fancy. that one British show where they're on an island and it's it's like Jamaica or something or one of the British islands. And it's a uh, sounds like Love Island. Oh, is that Love Island? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Procedural. <laughs> it's a procedural show and it's a fish out of water show because it's quite um you know, a guy comes in and he becomes like the head constable of this office, which is all people who live there, all black people. And just it, it's really interesting. It's a murder every week. And uh, and all their accents are different because the British guy is more, you know, educated British. And then you've got the island accent. So that one can be kind of hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so nice. I watch weird things at night when I can't sleep. I'm <laughs> channels going, okay, am I going to do PBS or am I going to do the home shopping network? Sometimes I put the home shopping network on really low. So it's like in the back. Yeah. It, knocks me, it knocks me out because everybody's kind of talking like this. <laughs> yeah, that's like, I'll put different podcasts on if I really need to go to sleep or we'll do. If I really, really need to go to sleep, we put the sleep music on. The, 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 <laughs> the sleep music. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, works 10 minutes i'm out <laughs> all right let's go into our call to action as always all links mentioned will be in our show notes so we invite you all to learn more about our guests by visiting their website we'll have it in the notes but it's just eastafricancs.org we'll also put a little link in there to a short video that showcases some of the different students who have participated in the different activities that eacs has to offer Nice. And last but not least, you can check out our other South Seattle story episodes on our website, mirrorstage.org. Thank you all so much for listening. We're looking forward to chatting more with you all in two weeks. Until then, share this episode with your friends and let's keep this conversation about the beauty and the community of South Seattle going. Take care, Seattle. And sweet dreams, Seattle. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Washington State Arts Commission and the National Endowment of the Arts. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish and Coast Salish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish and Coast Salish tribes. If you like what you've heard and would like to support this podcast or other Mirror Stage programming, you can donate at our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206 888 6477. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This podcast is available on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So if you are finding us on any of those platforms, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe if possible.